Well, hello and welcome to Inexos Access All Areas. My name is B, and I will be co-hosting this series of podcasts with my Inexos nerd, Hayden Murdoch. We will be delving deep with you all to explore everything there is to know about this iconic band of brothers in excess, sharing music, tours, videos, albums, and oh, so much more. Well, hello, welcome to Nexus Access All Areas, episode 103, the podcast that aims to dive deep into all things great about this band, give them a little nudge into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, have fun with the community, uh, and most of all, just celebrate the greatness of this band with my colleague, B. How are you? My goal is to put a smile on your dial today, hopefully. Yeah, no problem. You know, school holidays and all that. <laughs> <laughs> Without diving too deep on the parental side, I've got my son at work today and mm-hmm. uh, you've got your daughter at home today and we're, we're just balancing all of our domestic duties. <laughs> Most important in our lives is the podcast. The kids are second. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Whoever says family are first. Okay, they're all lying. <laughs> well, I have had another smile put on my face. We, well, we've got two new patrons that we'll speak about oh, geez, later. You'd love to jump ahead in the agenda, don't you, B? No, no, no. no. I want to <laughs> I want to jump back, though, because we had the gorgeous okay. Jenny. Do you remember? Only a few weeks ago. Yes. Jumped on, and then she won the prize. She's already received it. Wow. Yeah. So I just want to read out what she's written to us. She says, thank you all so much for the gift pack and the Decadence cassette. That player is amazing. Never seen one like it. My husband and I recently started getting into vinyl again, and now I can play all my NXS cassettes too. So awesome. <laughs> you guys are amazing, and you have no idea how much information and happiness you bring into my daily life. Oh, and wow. The effort and professionalism and love of NXS you have um, are so evident, and I can't thank you enough. Now, that is Thank you, Jenny. Smile on my face. Where's Jenny based again? In the US, but don't ask me out whereabouts. Awesome. I would probably like to do this point B where I say, how's your next week been? Has anything come across your table you can share with me? Did I tell you about something that um, Helen Kirkwood's put together for the tour bus? Um, She's put a little photo book together and it is fantastic. I can't wait to share that. Helen's a much valued patron, is that right? Helen's a patron of ours, yes, and we call her the Spy of Love. And she used to, back in the day, work with Darren on the website. Uh I just want to give a shout out to her because she's been just absolutely amazing, absolute giver to the podcast and to NXS. So thank you. Um, What else has come across my desk this week? Well, you know, had a little chat with um, Kirk and Tim earlier today. That was quite fun about um, some more um, addresses of where we go. I'm so excited to give you the mic on this, though. Yeah, listeners, you know, it's the way B just comfortably just uh, name drops about her little <laughs> chats with Kirk and Tim, like it's just sort of, you know, uh, oh, you. by the way, I was also chatting to the Prime Minister and the Queen and uh, and Justin Trudeau. And uh, yeah, you know, just matter of fact, B, listen to you, huh? Yeah, they're like my uncles. <laughs> it's uh, two things coming together. We're probably uh, less than, well, just less than two and a half weeks away where we're going on tour with uh, an NXS backdrop with a lot of our patrons and Aussie friends and family and people, etc. there on the uh, tour around. But B, I guess uh, we are coming off a, a, a review episode where we did dive deep and uh, an hour 47, I did waffle a bit last week, didn't I? It was like a Stanley Kubrick uh, product, post-production <laughs> for you. You had bit, 74 yeah. hours of uh, oh, footage there you I had know. to sort of uh, weave in and cut mm-hmm. me off. But I did say to uh, people throughout our platforms throughout the week, we cannot shirk on an album no, deep dive or a review. Cannot. We have to go nitty-gritty, yeah. and uh, there has been some good feedback, which we might share on Found Engagement later. Uh-huh. But yeah. um, albums are special. We only have this Full Moon album, Elegantly Waste and Switch to Go. So, mm-hmm. you know, we've got greatest hits and all that stuff. But in terms of 
albums and things, we're really sort of 75% of the way through. So we want to give uh, Full Moon a little bit of justice with that uh, discussion last week and more today as well. Mm-hmm. And like, i tell you what, though, Heidi, I did mention this to you. It would be good to get some of the guitar techs in, involved in some of the reviews of the albums because mm. someone mentioned about the sounds that Tim got out of his guitar for um, Full Moon Dirty Hearts. And I thought, yeah, I never really thought to go deep on that. That would be quite interesting if we could get a guitar tech in. So if you're out there and you're listening, get in touch with the podcast. We're getting a chance to chat to Mark Overs today about the production side, so that might be a really handy thing to bring up uh, with him, just you know how some of those sounds come across because uh, we'd like to go inside the world of a producer today when we, we do chat to him. But um, mm-hmm. you know, looking back at the Full Moon sort of album, I think like a good bottle of wine, sometimes it comes out and people go, oh, okay, fair enough. And then later on it's like, well, that was a fair drop after all. De- debating the virtues of things, you know, when you're a fan of a band uh, or a fan of a singer or a fan of a sporting club or whatever it is, whatever hobby and things you commit to, it takes tenacity, it takes loyalty, it takes commitment, it takes you know, a long-standing resolve to stick with somebody. Um, life is generally about fashions and trends and changes and what's the end thing, the, what pair of jeans is this? And I think, you know, with Inexcess's catalogue and, and what we've found in this community is that, you know, we are, uh, I guess, associated with a lot of fans who were there for the whole journey. Uh, some fans who came back to certain albums later because maybe they were, you know, more ready to listen to them. And I think, admittedly, you shared that last week that probably around 93, you were into your indie phase and discovered Full Moon a bit more later on, B. Mm-hmm. And I'm not alone either, which I know that I'm not, but it makes people feel that they can come back to their band when they're listening yeah. to us, you know, be honest about yep. it. Um, I've never said that I am an in excess expert, even though I feel like I'm becoming one. Yeah. But, but yeah, you know, you can allow yourself. A, a lot of um, men and women have had families and that comes first yep. before as well. Um, so, yeah, and work. You know, it's yeah. fine. Allow yourself to come back. It's great. Well, the thing you did last week, which was great, and I, I did a sort of bit of a listen back to the episode today, just for, before this episode, is you put some quite a, uh, a lengthy section and slabs of each song. So uh, listening to some of those, well, the episode back last week, you know, we heard about a minute, minute and a half of some songs. I think Time particularly was a favourite. And I know oh, B likes this one. She's given this one <laughs> a couple of minutes there. But um, I think for those who maybe are shaking their memory or aren't, totally familiar with the deep dive tracks. Last week's episode, if you haven't listened to it, go back because you'll get a good sampler of each track and we did sort of break them down a bit. Yeah, interestingly enough, I think a lot of the feedback we've had is some fans have had songs grow with them over time where they like them more, uh, some less so, but that's the art of music. You know, you can evolve with it. Oh, before we carry on, so we had a great email from, I know that's more fan engagement, but we had a great email from Andrew Lambie. Actually, I think he might have sent it me on Twitter. I get I get a bit confused because everyone's sending messages from everywhere. Um, and he's, he's actually written a great review on our website. If you do feel compelled to write a review for us, that's probably the best place to go onto our website and find out which um, podcast episode you liked and then review us. That would be fantastic. Thank yeah, you. And, and as we've sort of said a little bit, you know, for people, if, you know, you've just come into this particular, you know, podcast uh, series with us and you've only just discovered us, which some people are, feel free to go back and cherry pick episodes that, you know, re- might relate to you. We we try to put in, you know, uh, a reasonable sort of subject line heading to each episode and a reasonable blurb that uh, may attract your interest in listening because 
And I myself sometimes, I'm going to listen to someone like John Lamoureux from The Hustle, who I do cite quite a bit, and who we might be doing something very soon with, a, a joint international podcast, B, as you probably know we've been working on. John has some great blurbs there where I go, I don't really know that artist or person he's interviewing, but you read the blurb and go, oh, they produced Steppenwolf, or they produced this and that, and you go, oh, that's an interesting person. So um, check out our blurbs, uh, you know, as much as you can. Uh, and check out our newsletters. I know um, Danielle and Laurie, and there's always one other I forget. Who's our third wheel with the newsletter, B? Foxy. Foxy. <laughs> I, I was going to say Foxy. But they do a great job of the newsletter, and I find myself learning and getting inspired by reading those as well. So, you know, there's a lot of sort of platforms and things and other episodes and blurbs and things where you can go back and, and check some things out that may be of interest to you uh, more than others, as I said. We put this originally together chronologically, but, you know, you can watch and listen any way you like. Just like music these days, Mm -hmm. people can cherry pick as they like. Yes, they can, Hayden. All right. Speaking of which earlier, our patrons, B, we've got a couple of new ones to welcome. Over to you to, to, I guess, welcome the new ones to start with. Who do we have amongst us today who's joined the, uh, the gang? Anthea and Maria, both Australian. Hey, okay. Can we get them on the bus tour? We got room? Well, I've sort of asked in a, in a funny way. I asked if one of them wanted to be a security guard because. Oh, okay. Are they from that, Sydney? That are they? Um, yeah, one is Sydney based. In fact, no, okay. both of them are Sydney based. So right. it would be nice, girls, if you want to. There is room. I did get a big bus just in case because <laughs> there are a few people that are coming along that are a little bit special, but we can't. Say am who am I just being a bit corny when I think we're going to get onto the boss and the first uh, the bus, not the boss. The boss. You're the boss. We're going to get on the bus, and the first thing we're going to do is. When we take off we're going to hear the uh in excess song on a bus is that right <laughs> well, well i've got darren jones doing the playlist for us oh so, okay um, maybe he's listening and he's That'd be putting that cool. one on first yes yes got to give it to darren to do the playlist yeah mm. all right well we should also go over to our plethora of patrons and good friend of the show nick egan has uh posted something recently we'd like to play again and then go into our uh, patron list please Hi there, this is Nick Egan, better known by you fans as the designer of the Kick, X and Live Baby Live covers, as well as director of the Searching and Don't Lose Your Head videos. If you're not patrons already, please, please sign up, become patrons, because both B and Hayden do this as volunteers, they both have jobs, as well as this, they put a lot of dedication into this podcast, a lot of love and a lot of time and effort, and even if you can't afford to become a patron try and contribute in some way because we need podcasts like this we need podcasts that come from the fans that are true to the fans we don't want to sit here corporate band podcasts we want to hear real podcasts from real people i'd like to say hello to everybody outside on the highway let's all say hello to everybody outside about ten thousand people at Well, let's start by saying hello to our honorary members, Nick Egan, Mark Opitz, Cameron Adams, Mary Woods and Darren Jones. Our patrons, Sue D, Joe Robbins, Carmen, Dr. Laurie, Carrie-Anne, Danielle, Sarah Markham, Sarah Camier, Dr. Jim, Katie, Lisa Mack, Lisa Calloway, Anne-Marie, Susan P, Susan B, Foxy, Pedro, Mandy, Matt, Linda, Yvonne, Caroline, Amanda... 
H, Amanda V, Leon, David, Tracy, Paul Jolie, Paul Boozy, Paul Bridges, Paul Buckley, Sandrine, Ella, Ryder, Tony, Erica, Abigail, Martin, Stefan, Val, Jim, Matey, Kelly, John A. Vink, Jackie, Sean, Sheila, Shannon, Helen, Brett, Suzanne, Glenn, Laurel, Bard, Genevieve, Shelby, Manny, Laurie Tassemeyer, Jill, Yowri, Laos, Lily, Heidi, Paula, Lisa Urban, Angie, Michael, Nancy, Juliet, Jenny, Scott, Anthea, and Maria. Welcome to the podcast. All right, B, well, uh, we're going to be going to, uh, a little bit later talking to Mark. Probably just going to be by myself and Mark today. B's actually extensively working on producing this episode with some tight timelines and all the bells and whistles she puts in. So uh, it will be a nerd fest with myself going head-to-head with uh, Mark Opitz in a, in a one-on-one about all things Full Moon Dirty Hearts. And one of the things I'm interested, I thought I would flag, B, you know, with you, uh, is I'm really interested in actually just finding out a little bit more about the role of a producer and, and what is an engineer and what is a mixer and had all these sort of same names that pop up on NXS albums like Bob Clearmountain and Niven Garland and Mark work together. So I thought we would highlight that or myself uh, when I'm chatting to Mark one-on-one and just giving our education sort of outlet to our listeners on that regard. Yeah, I'd like to be educated on that too. Plus, you know, there's a lot to go through. Obviously, we did our deep dive last week on each track and, you know, we'd like to see what Mark thinks of the, the album this amount of years later and just not only the experience of producing it all, but just the, the artistry behind it and the, the, the sense of commerce. And, you know, sometimes there is, you know, I guess there was a sequencing issue a little bit about how he wanted the album to be and maybe other people felt like he, they wanted the album sort of in a different order. So going to flesh that out and we may even get a bit controversial there, B, but one thing NXS Access All Areas does is it accesses all areas, good or bad. I don't want to step on your toes, but when we were speaking to him a few nights ago, he's quite fiery on a few things, <laughs> isn't he? Well, um, he's a bit staunch there, yeah. Mm, but uh, there is, there's, there's two words he's not allowed to use on the podcast today mm-hmm. in the interview. One is B for Bond and the other second one is J for Jovi. <laughs> It is a Bon Jovi free zone. I know he quoted the other day in almost (laughs) glowing terms and I'm just going to have to preface him on that one. Sorry, Dr. Jim. (laughs) B, what's the time for? It's time for the news. This is Manny from the UK and here is the news. All right, B, well, we were pleased to mention the news last week in the charts that the album had had a little bit of a, uh, a surge back into the uh, bottom reaches of the top 40, which was uh, also the top reaches, I should say, at number 41. This week it's gone up a couple of notches to 39. So uh, things are ticking along nicely in that regard. In Gig Watch, B, we've got a lot of gigs going around the world, so I thought I would just sort of throw a, a bit of a potpourri of these out all at once and hopefully uh, it sticks. But uh, Inexcessive, I think it might be the New South Wales Inexcessive guys, are playing in Gladstone, Queensland on June the 10th, which is obviously uh, exciting. John Stevens just last weekend played at Blues Fest on the weekend, B, and I know he posted some stuff on his socials there, and he was very excited to get back to or get to Blues Fest, I think the first time in 32 years, etc. Uh, so there's some good footage of that. I did mention a bit about the Kick Experience and their sort of tours across uh, America. And I know their annual gig they play at Daryl's House, meaning Daryl Hall from Hall & Oates, has sold out. It's only April, but that one has sold out, B. We live streamed that last time, so we may be able to do that again this year, which is pretty cool. Might get a few new listeners there. Maybe. 
the in excess of Victorian guys, they're playing at the Chelsea Heights Hotel, which is uh, not far from my place, uh, on May 27. Tickets are now on sale for that. All the way over in Perth, the New Sensation uh, boys are playing at the Ocean Reef, uh, I think, hotel there uh, on May the 7th. The Live Baby Live guys up in New South Wales are playing on September 24th at Orange Civic Centre. Plus, uh, in only a couple of weeks' time, they're in Newcastle at the Exchange Hotel on April 29th, or literally a couple of days' time, I should say. So uh, Newcastle uh, seems to be the home of a lot of excess uh, covers and things like that. Your boys don't change play there regularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I guess uh, they're going to experience some more in excess stuff, B, which is pretty good. So if you are anywhere in those places or regions around Australia and overseas, particularly America, feel free to uh, tackle that particular concert and get along and uh, maybe you could do a live cross for us or, you know, post a review on our platforms, B. Great. Yes, please. Speaking of gigs as well, we're just coming into this weekend where Andrew Farris this weekend is back in Australia and he's been on a little bit of a media little tour around Tamworth, pumping up the gig that's coming up uh, for him. So I think Andrew's been over in Nashville for quite a bit of time now and I think very much looking forward to resuming that uh, April 23rd gig up in Tamworth and uh, that sort of festival sort of having a, uh, I guess, a second win after the COVID shutdown in January. So kudos to Andrew and his uh, band of country bandmates and, and support acts there. Also, a little bit of news, not so much in excess related, but probably sort of semi-John Stevens related, uh, Noiseworks, John's original band, uh, has been mooted that they are reforming and doing an album that's been literally recorded, I know, seven or eight years ago, but um, their main guitarist, uh, Stuart Fraser, did come down uh, with cancer there for a period of time post the recording and sadly about two and a half years ago passed away. So it sort of put a bit of a halt in proceedings there with Noiseworks going forward as an entity. Steve Belby, the bass player, uh, did announce at the Hot Red Summer Blue whatever concert tour recently that they were releasing that album late in the year and going on the road. Interestingly, John Stevens hasn't said anything, although maybe he's sort of a line to his current two at the moment doesn't want to say anything but John and Steve had a bit of a you know tempestuous relationship over time so I don't know if John would be that happy that Steve's announcing that early but uh, we'll see we might have a little sub-media wars thing going on later there B John versus Steve Ooh, alright article time B can I share a few little articles that have come up uh-huh. now Thank you to some of our very valuable community who have shared some with us. Um, some of these have come to us and we'll just share them uh, collectively. But uh, uh, I do know Ultimate Classic Rock have uh, had an article come out about Elegantly Wasted, mm-hmm. uh, an article uh, about the 25th anniversary and, you know, about this album being sort of, I guess, yeah. critically overlooked at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's been a great sort of uh, article about that album yeah, and some article. of the, the, uh, the mm. songs on that, which was a great one. And yeah. there's plenty of, I think, posts out there with that article on many sites. So just go... Ultimate Classic Rock, Elegantly Wasted Article, 25 years later, and you should find it. Mm-hmm. Um, also, too, I think overnight, B, there has been a remix album <laughs> about the 94th version of yeah. Kick. <laughs> so we will sort of say this with a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek, but 35 years later with mm-hmm. Kick, uh, there has been a re-release of that uh, Kick album, which uh, I think even Tim 
Uh, I've just got the article in front of me, but I might refer to it. But okay. in excess, Kick remix and song to be featured in Euphoria. Yeah. Blah blah blah. In excess, the Australian pop band has released a new mix of their album Kick, yeah. which is celebrating its 35th anniversary this year. Tim and Kirk, as well as engineer Giles Martin, discussed the revised version and the inclusion mm-hmm. of excess music on Euphoria yeah. in a recent interview. Uh, blah 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 blah. Uh, and it goes back to you know some of the the things that are. You know, been mentioned before, but yeah. effectively on April 4th, the new mix will be available. Charles Martin oversaw the recent Dolby Atmos rework, which we know. Yeah. Martin, the son of George Martin, we know. The mm-hmm. Beatles and the Rolling Stones in uh, da da da. Mm-hmm. This isn't his first time working on a new kick mix. In 2017, he re- yeah. remixed the album for a cinematic experience to commemorate the 30th anniversary. Now, okay. interesting quote here from mm. Tim, if I can. Ooh, uh, um, yes. yeah. They all sound different to me, actually. <laughs> <laughs> then obviously, I'm quite near to it. Yeah. Farris remarked of the songs on the new uh, audio edition. It's got this acoustic guitar that, well, is there in stereo mix, but it's simp- uh, but it doesn't jump out. The guitar set, set of the title tune, it really shines out in the spatial mix and it just adds this kind of backbeat swing mm. to the song. Uh, the album also contains hit songs by the band, blah, 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 blah. Yep. Uh, sounds very wonderful since it's all got this percussion going on, Ferris mm. did of the, late, of the later tracks. Okay. There's a lot of exciting stuff coming uh, from behind you, which I guess he's talking about the production side. So, Okay, this is called Immersive Music, so we'll have to keep an eye to it. Look, if you Google the rest of the article, this one's sort of come out yeah. uh, in the last couple of days. Uh, you should be able to find it. Uh, I think Kirk, obviously, who uh, mentioned it as well, that he thought yeah. it was pretty fantastic uh, and he's aware some of his music has been included on the show soundtrack and he yeah. thinks it's pretty cool to be involved in a cool yeah. show. So, um, yeah, that's literally only been an article released in the last 24 hours. So I did want to sort of highlight that one there. And also, too, there's a show uh, on Netflix at the, moment, at the moment called The In-Between and there is a version of Never Tear Us Apart played in a car with a tape with a couple there, B, you're shaking your head like I've seen that. We've watched it. Was it a movie or a series? What was it? A movie. Okay. Um, yeah, and my daughter's been playing Never Terrace Part ever since. It's like the trendy thing to get to <laughs> listen to. But, this, yes. but can I just put a little bit in here? Sure. Tell me about Shazam. What is Shazam? Shazam's an app where if you hear a song and you press Shazam, like the old, you know, cartoon show, um, it will hear the track and tell you who actually tell you who the artist is. Okay. So if you hear a song on the radio, don't know who it is, press Shazam on your app on your phone and it'll actually, I can't believe I'm telling you about technology. No, I, I do know. I want you to tell the, the listeners. Oh, okay. Fair enough. <laughs> you had me going there. But, yeah, that's essentially sort of how it sort of operates. But uh, I think for sort of uh, millennial, new sort of age sort of listeners of music who probably weren't around when excess were there, the great thing about NXS songs is they still sound fresh and vital like they were recorded yesterday. So... It's great that certain platforms of shows like this are introducing inaccessible music to their ears. Yes, because um, in the Shazam's charts, in excess are charting in Mexico and Argentina and all of South America. And so there must be watching the, the shows that we're talking about here, um, Euphoria yes. and the in-betweens, yes. and they're Shazamini, or whatever they would call it. And, yeah, it's number one, number two, at that high in the charts. That's amazing, isn't it? Well, I think, it's, you know, these days, if you actually just, you know, pause and think about music and technology, I mean, back to the old days of family sitting around a gramophone was how, you know, music was played and listened. And then, you know, people got the record player and then they got the tape and then they got the CD and then they got the laser disc and then they got the iPod and, and now they've got streaming platforms. I mean, however you come across and get a chance to hear music, 
really at the end of the day is incidental. I think what In Excess are doing great and kudos to their management is they're investigating all these different platforms out there that actually can introduce their music to earballs, as a friend of us <laughs> once called them, earballs. Yeah, cute, isn't it? From that point of view, yeah, it's great that your daughter and other people are hearing these things because people just don't go down to the shop and buy a record these days as sort of as the format of how you digest content. Mm, no, no, that, that they're more visual, aren't they, the kids nowadays? You know, what with TikTok and, and um, like movies, my daughter's constantly watching old movies, but now moving forward with the in-betweens and it's very retro. Yes, they've actually got a box yes. of cassettes. It's very, <laughs> very cool. Yeah, B, it's time for Media Wars. Bring it on. You're listening to In Excess Access All Areas, and now it's time for one of my favourite segments, Media Wars. All right, B. Well, we've got a couple of new entrants into Media Wars this week. Uh, Andrew Farris, obligatory. He's on Media Street. You know, I think there was a picture of him arm in arm with one of the characters from Neighbours there. The heads were cut off in the picture, but I assume it was the guy from Neighbours, Alan Fletcher, uh, who was on that particular thing, but up Tamworth. But Andrew is doing his usual thing with his uh, pop-ups. Another uh, person this week, now we do give Kirk a hard time, so it's a half Kirk uh, welcoming to this, but there was a publication this week out there called uh, RA Apparel, which is sort of a sponsored thing, but uh, it was a deep dive into Kirk and Rose, his daughter, who's on Neighbours, who her father, the famous father-daughter, and they were doing a bit of a deep dive into Kirk and his career and going back and doing some back quotes. So it was sort of a half Kirk this week. It wasn't Kirk seeking the limelight. It was a limelight seeking Kirk. But Kirk, he's still qualified. <laughs> also in this week, we've got that bloke who's worth $75 million. Apparently he's at 20 country number ones. He's married to a famous Australian actress. I don't know one of his songs. The only song I know was his backup vocals on Shining Star. And apparently he's on a show called The Voice. Uh, his name is Keith Urban. Okay. Keith, uh, apparently this week uh, is, is now an entrance on Media Street because he was referencing in a, an article in AF Rock uh, an article regarding uh, Shining Star and Michael Hutchins ringing him and coming down and doing some backup vocals. And I think Andrew Farris referenced that on our deep chat with with uh, with him. But uh, Keith definitely labours about, on well, definitely goes on the fact that he was part of that NXS scene recording backup vocals. So, Keith, welcome to Media Wars. Uh, you're on notice. Uh, you have qualified. You're in whole position as well. Also in Media Wars this week, B. okay, the family, this is timely for you because you've just found out, I believe, the address of where the Farris brothers lived. Is that right? Yes, a few, a few addresses. <laughs> okay, well, here's an interesting one. This particular week, one of the publications has caught up with the neighbours of where the Farris brothers grew up. Now, I don't know if it's Bob and Evelyn or whoever it is, but uh, they're on Media Wars this week talking about their experiences, the family next door to the Farris brothers growing up being garage band uh, and rehearsing all the time and all the noise that came out of there. Yep, and the neighbours of the Farris brothers, they're now in Media Wars too. <laughs> but B, chock full of news, that's it for me. Thank you for listening. Hey, this is Tim Farris. Well done, Hayden and B. You've made my brothers and I very proud of what you've achieved so far. A big hello to all your listeners and NXS fans.
Hi, this is Felicia from Everett, Washington, USA. You're listening to NXS Access All Areas with Hayden and B, and it's time for the topic of the week. Hello, welcome again, Mark Oberts, to NXS Access All Areas. You're more than an honorary uh, uh, patron. Uh, we thank you again coming on. It's a pleasure. It's great. You know, I really enjoy it. Well, we, uh, we're going to talk about Full Moon Dirty Hearts today, and I put in the intro here, hook-laden and catchy with more left and right-hand turns than an inner-city Rome roundabout. Now, we were in the island of Capri in Italy, and I happened to be in Rome one time going into the inner part of Rome. There was this massive roundabout, and you got, if you didn't turn left at the right time, you got stuck on it. Um, yep. I'm sure you've been to that roundabout before in your travels. You should have said Parisian roundabout because that's exactly what happened to Michael and I coming home from this, you know, <laughs> in, in the Arc de Triomphe about two in the morning in a taxi from the Full Moon Dirty Heart sessions. Michael, Andrew and I went to Paris to do the overdubs where we got the idea about Ray Charles. And most nights, Michael and I would ride home in a taxi. Exciting to get you on today because I'm sure we've made a couple of little faux pas in our dis- discussion last week. But I think you said before coming on, we we got a fair bit right and accurate. Again, it's it's how I saw it. Everyone probably sees it through different eyes. But I think you you know you guys you know from what you could look at and what was available to you and the people you spoke to got it right. But you know, but I, I guess I can I can give you a bit more of a, a voyeur's. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things I would like to sort of just start things off with a little bit is just doing a little bit of a timeline before coming on. Um, I know you had come on board for the X tour there in America, and uh, uh, which was probably sort of I guess early '91, and uh, went on that particular tour with the band and were doing some some activity with them. You then went into really Wembley mid '91, sort of July. You've then gone into the sort of late '91, early '92 recordings of Welcome, you know, Concert for Life. And then late 92, early 93 have gone into full moon. So you probably had this little two-year window where the band really were climbing that summit with X or consolidating, going into the live, you know, you know, Wembley stuff, welcome, bit of a European success, maybe not so much in America. And then going into full moon after really what was a non-tour for welcome. Um, what was your memory of just the first week or two going into Capri and the recording? Where were the band at mentally? you know, coming off Welcome. Because Welcome wasn't the juggernaut, but I think critically it was fantastically received. So do you have a bit of a memory where they were coming at going into Full Moon? Yeah, I do. Everyone had decamped, except me, to Michael's house in the south of France to start putting together the the album and, you know, and getting the ideas right. So it was Michael and Helena hosting the band basically for a week or so while they just did some writing and some jamming and just got loose together. I think there must have been a couple of shows as well because I can remember meeting up with them outside Milan near the Ferrari factory at about two in the morning. I'd gone out in a private car and and they had this great tour bus and we met up at this ridiculous hour in the morning. We headed out to this incredible Michelin-style Italian restaurant in the middle of the countryside that was still open and had this amazing meal. But everyone was in great spirits, you know. Everyone was looking forward to it, you know. So I spent a few days with the band at that point in Milan and then I flew on to Amsterdam with them to do a TV show. During that point, obviously, I, I was because I was getting to bond again with them, which I, I mean, I already was bonded, but actually to be part of the ongoing team, if you will, before we went in the studio, and so I got a good sense of what was going on with individuals. You know, Michael's, you know, 
sense of smell, sense of taste, bad, but not as you know, not as bad as it was. We, we thought it was bad, but we didn't think it, we did, it was worse than we thought it was really. Yeah. You know, where, where everyone else was at with their personal lives and all that. You know, by the time, and you got a lot of things right when you spoke about the album, it was a sort of a final album, you know, studio album for the, for the record label. You know, as you mentioned, Phonogram, I think it was, for re, redoing the contract, was it? Polygram, I think. Was it Polygram? Or Poly- Sorry, yeah, yeah. Polygram. Yeah. They were the- they're moving to Polygram from sort of essentially Atlantis. That's right. And so they owed the one studio album and the greatest hits. And, you know, just a bit of background about how we got onto Capri in the first place. What Late one night during the recording of Welcome to Wherever You Are, Michael, myself and Niven were in the studio, Niven Garland being the engineer that we used on both albums and one of my great friends. In fact, he's like my brother. He lives in Spain now in a little house with a donkey and a cat and a swimming pool and an olive farm and <laughs> um, excuse the birds in the background. And they're normally my birds, uh, my joint, actually, uh, but that's, it gives us a sense of Australiana, so that's fine. I've, made, I've got everything here, kangaroos. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, as I um, you got a sense of where the band was at their life at this point, and, you, you know, you, now you've got to remember, okay, Struggled for years. You know, Chris has been doing this. They've got together. Pre-Chris, they had belief. With Chris, they had a champion. They really pushed themselves up that ladder. Play live, play live. The ACDC method, just play live, play live, play live. Two men and a dog, just play, you know, in America, etc. And they got to this point. You know, they climbed a mountain. I mean, you don't ever get there. You know, people say, well, they've made it. You never make it. There's no making it. You get to a plateau, you know, once you've made it, well, then you've made it, there's only one way to go, isn't it? It's, it's down. <laughs> it's, it's such an illusion, but it's a good one. I mean, hope is what sets us apart from, from all other beasts. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a great illusion. But the, but the band, as I said, now we're at a mature stage of their lives. They'd striven for success and had been successful, probably beyond their wildest dreams. Beyond anything they could imagine. Yeah, sure, they dreamed of being the next Beatles, sort of, you know, as kids like we all did when we were 12. Mm. But when, when you take on being a band, the reality of, okay, let's put a band together, and the band's been, goes, does their first rehearsal, you go home that night, what do you think? Oh, we're going to be bigger than the Beatles? You don't think that. You have mm-hmm. to have that, I guess, don't you? Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's well, you've got to have part of that dream in you. You know, to actually realise the hard work you've got to put in, and it, it is hard work, yeah. People say, well, gee, they're on stage for one and a half hours and they've got $10 million. How does that work? Well, that's because they were on stage in Kalgoorlie for six hours straight and they got $30, <laughs> as well as, you know, cans of beer in the head. It's like being paid forward, isn't it, you know? Uh... It's not only paying forward, it's, it's believing in yourself to the point where you – don't take the easy route. I was just speaking to an old school friend before this call and we had to mention that, you know, the people that were at school who were great and, you know, always came top of the class ended up being teachers. There's nothing special there. School never taught you to do anything adventurous. Yeah. You know, it taught you how to be one of the, one of the yeah. many. So in excess, it got to a point in their lives now where they're comfy. And, and not only that they're comfortable, they've, they've crossed the, the threshold of familyhood. You know, Tim had already crossed that threshold sometime before. Michael, yet to Andrew has, but he's a key member. Now it's time to so say, we've got that success. We've done this. We've got kit. We didn't tour welcome. Why? Because our families come first. I totally agree. I wish they would have toured welcome. Hmm. It would have unlocked 
so many doors had they toured Welcome Around the World. I totally get it they didn't do it because, hey, they've been working so hard. Time to give back to your family. Time to give back to yourself. Time to put your feet on the ground. Take stock. Time to spend a bit of the, you know, take a dividend. Take a bit well, of the I guess I guess financially, and again, I'm I'm never really that sort of caring of you know the financials because they don't hit my bank account. Um, <laughs> but you would tend to think you know the, the kick royalties, the ex royalties, the touring, you know, all of that hard work from '77 to sort of '91, '92. You know, they must have you know put themselves in a financial position of stability, being able to choose well, uh, and then enjoy some fruits of the labour. You know, well that's exactly right. Enjoying the fruits of the labour. You know, it was more the time factor more than the money factor because. All those deals would have involved major upfront advances. Once, say, What You Need went through the roof, the great story is that Chris walked into Doug Morris's office in Rockefeller Plaza, the vice president of Atlantic Records, held up a copy of the contract and ripped it up after he played in What You Need. This next single, and by the way, we want to renegotiate the contract. And, uh, in the court of law, does that work, uh, Mark, those type of antics, uh, antics in the 80s, I guess they did? <laughs> well, it worked. It worked. I've got another occasion of another uh, a very famous person and their manager you know, went to a, a publisher with a figure that they would get $250,000 advance. Hmm. That's for the figure they had in their head, which is like in those days – and these days, there's a lot of It was of a money. house in Sydney in those days, yeah. And um, it was a house in Sydney. And they walked in and then the, the publisher said to the, to the manager and the artist, the writer, before you start saying anything, I'm not going to get into a bargaining situation. I'm just going to tell you what our, our split is and our advance is. That's it. And that's, we're not going any, any, anywhere. We're going to give you a $500,000 advance. For, you know, in exchange for X percent for X years. Mm. Artist and the manager looked at each other and the manager said, wow, that's $250,000 difference to what we thought. <laughs> and, and, you know, he nearly blew it by saying yeah. that. Yes, you don't say and, that, yeah. And, and Unless it's 250 less. <laughs> at least he didn't say that's 250 more than we thought. Yes, yes, but yes. He, for some reason... He said, that's $250,000 difference. And then the guy, the music guy said, okay, 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 that, but seven fifty. that's it. That's it. <laughs> that's it, seven fifty. It's over. Okay, I can't go. Not a, and they, they said, yeah, no, fair enough, we agree. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we, can, we, we, can, we can negotiate. So you've yes. got to understand, you know, like, you know, yeah, they took time off not just to spend their money, but they, they would have been advanced a lot of money fairly early on, not just for that, but for publishing, recording, um, you know, particularly, you know, the success of uh, What You Need in particular, not even kick, not even going that far. They, mm. they proved where they were going with Shibushi Bar, so Atlantic said, yeah, we'll take a chance and we'll, and we'll back you. Mm. And we had Don't Change, as you know, and one thing go well for us. Uh, Chris got involved and uh, no, well, the swing went okay because Niall did um, original sin, but but yeah. even so, you know, it, it just worked out in original sin for them, turned into more of a publicity vehicle in America. It internationalised the band's sound, I think, post-Shabu, didn't it? Sort of- it, it, it did, it, yeah. it put it this way, it, it, held, it held the weight while it was needed to be held. Yeah. It held the momentum. It still gave them what you need to because it went well in France, number one. It went well in Europe. Argentina. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so it opened up other markets that they were able to visit. And even with Australia, as you would know, with Bowie coming down, wanting them to support, I mean, I mean, the swing in Australia was such a juggernaut, wasn't it, really? Juggernaut is, is right. Once you create the juggernaut, juggernaut effect in Australia, and I, I, I've lucky to work with three juggernaut effect bands, you know, the Angels, Cold Chisel, you know, in excess, ACDC, a few of them actually, mm. but they're a different beast. The Juggernaut band, you know, it's it's insane, and 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 particularly in Australia, and you can get trapped into being an Australian Juggernaut. <laughs> yes, you know, yes. And, and not you don't break out early enough. But anyway, Thank, so, thankfully they, you know, through your efforts and Shabu and all that stuff, and Chris were able to get out early. You know, well, you know, Shabu was the way Shabu was because that's how you know. You know, a young band that were, had potential. You, you know, no hist- there wasn't any great history there. There was, you know, they had some minor hits. You know, being realistic, it's easy to look back as a rabid fan and go, "No, they've got great records." But at the time, it wasn't this hysteria, minor hysteria for them. No, good, good, great, good live band. Yeah, but you had to be good. Yeah. You're up against chisel. You're up against yeah. mental. Yes. Yeah. Ice House, you've got to get to a certain level, and it's great. And in excess, benefited from the pub culture. Pub culture has been around really since the 60s when bands were playing, you know, two gigs a night, seven days a week, you know, and not really, but that sort of thing, you know. I guess you the know. word slick, you know, and it's not a comparison of Shabu to the swing, but Shabu, you know, has your touchstones on it. And then you'd see there's a slickness with Nick Lornay and just where things were going at that particular time, I think. You were of the opinion that after ten to one midnight, or you always thought that Inexcess might go down the Nick Lorne route. Oh, one hundred percent. As I said, Gary Beers played me ten to one. I'm one of the last days in the studio of doing Shabu Shabar, and I listened to what he was listening to on headphones and all that. And I said, "What?" He said, "That's Midnight Oil." And I, I negotiated with Midnight Oil to sign them to Warner Brothers. And so I knew what they were like, you know, and, and they weren't mm. like 10 to 1. You know, I'd seen them many gigs. I was just a punk band with a guy, tall, ball guy, couldn't sing. <laughs> and the only guy I could sing was the drummer. Yeah, great voice. And I went on tour with, you know, when I was head of A&R at Warner Brothers because we were negotiating at the time. Mm. And, I, and I did a few gigs with them and, I, you know, talked to them a lot about why you're not this, that, all that sort of stuff. And, and I remember also, um, yeah, but they wanted me, they want me as A&R Warner Brothers, they wouldn't, they, they wanted me to sign the act, produce the act. This is the manager wanted me to do this, but I also had to sign another band of his called Spy versus Spy, which is a great band. But on principle, I said no to that deal because I was only after one band. Yeah. And, and I can't be held to ransom either, in a way. If you yeah, know. it's a bit like if you sign him, can you get the brother to come too? Can you sign? Yeah, the and so, and so obviously yeah. he took the deal to Sony and took them, yeah. and we'd spy spied them, and and away you go. Listen, let's get back. I think you were about to say earlier, maybe I'm incorrect, but obviously the band bunkered up, I think, in the south of France uh, just before going to Capri. And you and Michael, maybe in the trade magazines, had seen that Capri was open for recording. Bit of background. We'd been in the studio, as I was mentioning, June, welcome to everyone, and even Michael and myself, again, late at night, and Michael was reading Billboard, and he said, and I can still see it. Yeah. You know, I'm in the middle of the console, and Nivel's 
Niven's doing stuff, you know, with the buttons, etc. you know, console stuff. And Michael's got, got his black T-shirt, uh, long sleeve shirt on, uh, T-shirt on, you know, feet up on a console with his cowboy boots on the producer section where there's nothing going on, just a bit of table. Billboard magazine open. No, I'm building a fucking studio in Capri. We should go there, you know. And and, and Capri to me is, is like is, is a childhood memory. Not I've never been there, but a book I read changed yes. my life. And when he said that, I said, "Gee, what a great idea! Let's see the vocals there." And we didn't. But later on, when you know, again, and you guys brought this up pretty clearly in your previous podcast about the fact that what a rush to get in to do a second album. Why do you want to do a second album so quickly? Yeah. And I, I think, you know, there are a lot of reasons for that. At that particular point, and I like to consider myself a fairly intelligent person, I had, didn't really think about why the rush. We weren't going in to record an album called Full Moon Dirty Hearts. We were going in to record, you know, and whatever that process was, because that's it wasn't from this point to this point, that's, a, that's what you'd be doing. You'd be doing two, you'd be doing this. Okay, we've got to do another studio album. We've been doing it at home all this time, you know. Uh, someone came up with, I think there were a couple of options. I think it was Air Montserrat and, and Capri, which been done a bit of research into it. And I, and I, for me, I was just lucky to go anywhere. Obviously asked an opinion, I would have said Capri, but I'm sure that uh, Michael would have voted for that as well. I know Chris blames me for it. He's, he said, mate, oh, he doesn't blame me for it. He says, maybe I should blame him. Blame me for what? For going to Capri? Yeah, yeah. I mean, also you've got to understand it's really important we get the dynamics of the background of this album. So you've got Michael having this incredible hematoma on his head, losing his sense of taste and smell. And, you know, he and I shared a building together while we were on the island. We had a villa. I had the downstairs half and he had the top stairs half for our first visit. Went home for Christmas, come back, and then we swapped. You know, I had upstairs and he had downstairs. The whole dynamic of when we turned up, then I should have known. I turned up on Capri a day before the band did. I turned up on Friday the 13th of November, 1992. Can you believe it? Got the last boat out of Sorrento, which they nearly didn't go. The half-hour trip was a bit like Gilligan's Island. A half-hour trip turned into a three-hour tour. I mean, white-knuckled were the other passengers. At first, everyone was cool on this ferry going over Sorrento. Like, they were all locals, you know, the middle of winter, you know. You won't believe the story. And I'm sitting on this boat, and it's the last one they let me leave Sorrento. And I'm going, okay, is this okay? And it's got a few, it's not big at all, about 60 foot long. It's even got a couple of cars on the back, not many. And everyone's got their shopping from Sorrento, you know, groceries, whatever. Heading out, hit, start hitting the, the rough, and it's incredible heading towards Carpreet to do Full Moon Dirty Hearts. What an adventure. Dark as, storm starts coming down, raging. I hold my ticket up, the ticket collector's behind me. I hold my ticket up and put it behind me. He keeps talking to the guy he's talking to, if you can picture this. I'm the row ahead, hold my hand hand up the ticket while he's talking to the guy. He just automatically punches it without looking at me and keeps talking to this guy. Then he finishes talking to the guy and comes up to me and says, ticket please. And I said, I just gave it to you. He said, no, you didn't. I said, look, Scott, he said, and I showed him the ticket. He said, that's got a hole in it. You can't use that one. (laughs) You put the hole in it, pal. Oh, you put the, he's a tater. You know, and I mean, I'm, I'm not speaking Italian. And, and so any, anyway, in the end, it just uh, you have to go and see the captain. And, and by this stage, I look around me, all the locals who were calmly there while, the, while the, back, the boat was going up and down are now white-knuckled 
these people do this trip every day are white knuckled on the hand grips. You can see them just looking straight ahead, looking to see a flight <laughs> appears out the window. You'd see a light, black. Light, black. And that's because you're going through these insane troughs like yep. this. So this ticket collector, I know it's got nothing, it has got something for me, Dirty Heart. It's my arrival on the aisle. He marches me outside and it is a lashing Force 9 gale outside, you know, and he pointing and, everybody, and I thought, you've got to be crazy. This is a dream, surely. And he points to the ladder stair and I'm shaking my head like this and so he comes up because he wants to report me to the captain. Why we aren't dead now is beyond belief. <laughs> I get to the into the captain's cabin, you know, and to see a captain who's virtually lashed to the wheel the look of God, a fear of God on his face, turns around, looks at me, looks at the other guy, and I know in Italian, he said, what the effing hell do you think you're effing doing? Get him effing out of here, you know, <laughs> even though I didn't speak Italian. Yes, yes. And, and like, and the captain was just like, are you serious? Like me. Christopher Columbus's particular ferry. And we arrived eventually after this. I'll never forget the sound of the smashing of the hulls against the water every time a trough went through a trough. The sound was horrendous. And we arrived at Capri about 8.30 at night, stormbound, wet through, suitcases, all that sort of stuff, two of us, my ex-wife and I, no one there, got the dress, how do we get there, managed somehow to get up to Capri Town and then got directions. Actually, he walked all the way carrying our shit in the pouring rain. By the time we got there, a ridiculous switchback of stairs to get there. You had to be fit. They couldn't believe we turned up. They thought, we should, thought the island was closed down. You know, so that was Friday the 13th, my arrival at Capri. And, and in a way, it signalled a lot, you know, just going a bit more generalised. I know, you know, talking about the weather on Capri, the band uh, it turned up the next day and the, next two over the next two days. Brilliant sunshine from that point on, you know. Uh, still cold, mm. but nothing like I'd experienced. And I remember uh, Timmy turning up with Buffy and the kids. Andrew turned up with his uh, his wife and baby, and and they'd taken an apartment not in the studio where we were, a bit bit closer in towards Piazza, and we were about halfway between the Piazza and the studio was. Timmy took there was a house on the grounds that had a swimming pool built maybe 1920s, but quite a sizable house on the grounds up the top, top of Montatoro, lovely spot, in the pines, unbelievable view, same swimming pool, so he had that. Gary, and I don't, think, don't know if Jody was there, I don't think so. It was there, uh, he had a, um, like a building like Michael and I had, but he had one that I think he and Kirk shared. Kirk, uh, Kirk was, was upstairs in the villa, similar to Michael and mine. Uh, with Denny, Denny Hines, and downstairs obviously was Gary. I'm just trying to think. And Johnny had a great setup, uh, a similar setup 
but he also had one of the old off, one of the offices converted into his room. Yeah. And what it was originally, what it was, Villapina on Capri, Villapina was originally uh, the, built by a architect called um, came to Italy and, and designed. Basically, if you, anyone would be familiar with Gracie Fields, a very famous World War II era entertainer, massive. Sally, Sally. Gracie Fields was English showbiz vaudeville royalty, total royalty. You can look, it's worth Googling. She got to Capri 30s and hired um, Carlo Quinto Talamona, the famous uh, Italian architect, Carlo Talamona, who came down and redid, uh, built, rebuilt Gracie Fields' uh, oceanfront resort style house with a huge swimming pool and room for guests and, you know, had little shop fronts built where Pucci started, for example and right down on the water and it became, you know, what Capri was known for, as you might know in the 50s and 60s, that, you know, the Richard Burton generation, you know, Capri, you know, and, and it's the Dolce Vita era. All of that stems from Gracie Fields. Capri was, was a real place to let your hair down. Have, if you had money, have fun. Still is. So know? would you, when they vans all turned up, you've been there a day or two ahead, they've all mm-hmm. gone in. Do you hang out? The band hang out for a few days and then go and start, you know, oh, yeah, no, what's the next step? Well, obviously we knew when everyone's arriving because there's only so many ferries arrive on every, you know, two hours or every hour. You know, Michael Long, tour manager in charge, totally organised, totally organised. You knew everything everyone was doing to the, to the second. Obviously, band arrives. We know they're arriving. Porters are there picking up all the cl- stuff. Spread is organised at the studio, outdoor spread, welcoming spread, drinks, colours settle into your place, all that, just like normal. And then that night, amazing dinner in an unbelievable dining room. Because remember, it was Carl Talamona built Fields Place, brought up one side of Montaturo and Capri and built up uh, 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 Via Turo, was the name of the road, which is just a walkway because you can't take cars on and purchased land and built villas along there in the 30s and 40s, in, particularly in the 30s. One he kept as a, um, a hotel, if you will, like a, one that was made of villas, lots of small you know, villas and a main area. And, mm. and then his son, Carlo Quinto Telemona, Carlo V Telemona, decided to build a studio using the old hotel. And his brother, his Carlo Giorgio, his brother agreed with him. They, and the legend has it, borrowed certain nefarious Italian money and built this incredible studio, Capri Digital, which is where we all were. But it was quite an interesting period because, again, you got to remember, we, 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 yeah, we were there to record an album, so we didn't know what the hell we were going to be doing. Hmm. Very interesting to hear last week's episode, and you were saying that, oh, you know, you're lucky enough to catch in excess on their 92, 93 tour when they played those songs. Yes, yeah. Those songs were already well recorded by the time you heard them. Yes, of course they sounded better when, when you heard them because they've been played a hundred times. When we were on the album, that was the first time we ever played. The fact that when you went to see them in 92, 93, we'd already designed a small gig tour right. while we were doing the album. That was, yes. you know, okay. there was no other option. Because of Nirvana, 
because of this, what happened to X? The other thing that politically people don't realise that this album had a lot of things fighting it. Chris wasn't only there, but he came once or twice to the island and couldn't believe it. But the reason he came is because he had to redo his management contract. Michael also realised that he didn't have to sign the management contract. And Michael and I, you know, again, I'm not trying to speak out of turn or, and the fact that Michael can't say anything about it because he's not here. It was a weird time, this whole Capri thing, because we're trying to make tracks as well as deal with certain politics, deal with Michael's condition, deal with being in Italy itself in a way, figure out what we're supposed to be doing in the next three weeks as well. And oh, do we need to book Paris now or do we need to, when do we book Clear Mountain in LA? And, you know, it was a long, there's so many things going on. Hmm. But, but the politics around it all were massive. And anyway, Chris, I remember flying out and having a, a big meeting with the band and I could stay in, in the control room and Michael coming down and say, oh, yeah, management contract. And, you know, we looked at each other and he said, yeah, I know. And he said, yeah, I know. I don't have to sign it. What's he going to do without me? You know, I just have to sit at home. He can sign the rest of the guys. They have to sign. But I don't have to sign anything. Mm. I don't have to give him a thing. If he wants to in excess to it, he's got to ask me. Yeah. And that's uh, where Michael's mental condition from the, you know, you got to remember it's not just his se- sense of taste and smell that have been affected, his brain had been affected. Yeah. And the clear visible signs are smell and, and, and taste. There are other things that are affected too. Yeah, there were odd times in the studio where, I mean, where people just let go of all their frustrations and we'd just be craziness in the control room. Mm. I remember Murphy saying to me, and I'm listening to stuff, I'm balancing stuff, I'm getting, you know, like time happening or whatever. <laughs> and he's got everyone around me so drunk and just going on and Michael's loud and people are saying, even to other people are laughing, like Johnny would be laughing and Andrew would be serious and then yelling or whatever. And, and I guess if, if I could mention in a band where you have six members, you know, yeah. there is a dynamic that's just different to a trio or a four piece where often, you yeah, know. It can happen like this all the time. But what, what I'm pointing out is that, you know, I've worked in the studio with these guys a lot. I've been in control rooms around the world with these guys for years. But I, I, I remember Capri, it was like some days, some nights in particular, maybe it's, the tourist syndrome, you know, when when you tend to be on holiday somewhere, you, you're a lot freer. Hmm. Uh, maybe it was that. We were in Italy and so, you know, everyone was, hey, we're in Italy, we're in Capri, oh, give me another drink, limoncello, love it, limoncello champagne, never tried that? No, let's get stuck right in, <laughs> you know. So there was a lot of joie de vie around at the time as well. I remember one night at about 9 o'clock and I think it was Michael, as I remember, but it's easy to say it was Michael. So let's go down to Max's. And Max's was a bar, you know, it's about half a kilometre away through winding narrow streets down to into the Capri Centre, but it was on the edge of centre. It looked like a cool guy, a young guy called Max. You know, we'd never been in there. So we all went down, me, Niven, and the band. That's just it. You know, there's eight of us, right? A Tuesday night. And we broke up to Max's bar. And Max's bar, we can see down into the bar. It's on the street. But the bar is at the other end, about it's about 10 metres at the other end of the room. Very open on the street, though, at the whole place. And at the bar, you can see Max talking to two friends, a woman and a man. So we just stroll in, and we all eight of us just take 
a position up next to the front window, still a fair distance from the people, but there's no one else in the bar except Max and the two people. And we realised they're, they're looking at us going, what the fuck's going on? Who are these people? They don't, maybe they recognised in excess. I don't know, but I wouldn't have thought so. Middle of winter. And then Michael said, picked up on their, their sensitivity. And he said, on the count of three, rush the bar. Okay. So it's normal, quiet, demure, everything lovely, nothing going on. Now, we used to do this a lot in different places, but I'll never forget this night. And one, two, three, and then we just went, yeah, running up to the bar. It's free. Everybody out. the bar and to this day Max uh, is still a friend you know and, and the woman so it sounds like there's a lot of highs and lows on this trip but everyone felt like they were caged and yet not caged everyone got cabin fever but didn't have cabin fever it was we were in a different place a different time different things were happening music was changing the the kick wave had crashed the the x wave had really petered out you know, and, and uh, as you so rightfully said yesterday, X wasn't the album the fans were waiting for, you know, uh, or you said something to that effect. I think on a previous episode, something on those lines, I think stylistically if Welcome had have come out after Kick, it may have projected their career further because the world was uh, well, was waiting. I, I, we'll never know, but that's my thought as well, mm. uh, particularly if they toured. Mm. But anyway, it, it doesn't matter. X still, uh, had some great material on there, but it was... It wasn't treading water. It was just staying in it, perfecting the one direction, which yeah. they shouldn't, yeah. rather than breaking new boundaries, except for Suicide Blonde. The band were only there as a unit for two weeks in um, a I think they got there up November 15. I think they got there in, in 92. And they I maybe stayed, I'm just trying to remember because we all left to go back to Australia at Christmas, a week before Christmas. So we're probably there three, three, four weeks. And then after Christmas, the band weren't coming back. It was just Michael and Andrew, myself and Niven for two weeks. And then the band would come back for two more weeks after Michael and Andrew and I had our two weeks and then we'd bring in the band and be able to direct them more about a finished picture. Mm. As, you, as you know, none of these songs were, were, were really written at all. Because uh, one of the things was sort of an interesting period, you know, just to give a, a backdrop for some of their contemporaries around that time or a few years earlier, I mean, Bands like The Police sort of went out on synchronicity. Um, they were <laughs> a very combustible sort of uh, dynamic, those guys. Um, Dire Straits had, you know, Money for Nothing, and they came back six years later with, I think, On Every Street, which was a virtual solo album. And The, the Bubble at first. Yeah, bubble. that's right. And Fine Young Cannibals, they had their biggest album and sort of disappeared. And I think what I admired about this era of 92, 93 was NXS 
after X and then Live Baby Live and everything there, they did put more of an emphasis upon the recording. And I think getting yourself re-involved without pissing in your pocket, I think they really were very keen to record more. Going to you was a source of doing that. You were a trusted ally. Just on that, you know, it's quite easy to tell the records I do with in excess as opposed to other people. It's very simple. A lot of ways, Shabushabar, even though the quality isn't there because of the time and the maturity in the songwriting, it still reminds me of Welcome. And as you well know, the running order, the, the way I built the uh, my vision for Full Moon Dirty Hearts is not the vision that you played people yesterday. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to that because I've got an interesting uh, lead-up of a few questions. I'm going to escalate to that because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I think it's important to get that on the record. I, th- I, I think that uh, just putting a, a, a time frame here, you've come off, I mean, they've come off Live Baby Live. They've had Shining Stars, a leftover, maybe a track or a track they put on. The amount of great material between Welcome and there's some great B-sides, especially experimental stuff of the B-side, especially from each band member. So around the Welcome time, I know you said on our last chat they didn't have a huge amount of material, but if you add up the 12 songs from Welcome, you add up all the B-sides and a few other things, and a few ex-leftover songs, they had probably around early 20 songs to choose from. They've gone in and made or written those songs really within six months of Welcome being released. It must have been prolific songwriting for Andrew and Mike. Don't get me wrong. There turned out to be a lot of songs. But you've got to remember that before we started Welcome, they weren't songs. They were just ideas. Yes. A riff here, a bit, a bit of a literary comment there by Michael. A bit of, you know, Michael had his little notebook, which he always is similar to George and Harry, Vander and Young. Michael had his books where he'd always be writing stuff down. You know, when he thought of it, lines or things came to him. What do I hear about loving sex? I'm delirious. What else? I'm delirious. What else? How did those little ideas turn into songs? Every act is different. You know, it's every act is different. Once you get to work with an act and know how, how the machine works, it's a lot easier to know what to expect. You know, so for instance, Andrew, I knew would have had his ADAT recorder, eight-track digital stuff, full of stuff, yeah. ideas. So the general point I wanted to make was, you know, for InXS fans out there, and I know this was in my sweet spot, so I have a bit of a nostalgic feel for it, but I think if I, you know, we're 28, 29 years removed from this period, I would say the welcome full moon period, of which literally were a 12-month apart album release, 24 fantastic songs with not much filler, you know, there was there was never going to be filler because I just wanted to get the best out of every squeeze, every drop out of I could of every yeah. song. Yeah, and, I, and I've told you before when we went off to LA to mix Welcome with Bob, the way it worked with Bob and I would mix stuff together. Mm. He wouldn't do it by himself; we'd both do it. And there's actually a very literal case of that on Cut Your Roses. Let me cut in with a question that I think it's come from something I've really been hanging to ask you. And often we see online notes, et cetera, then I got it slightly wrong last week. Thank you, Pedro. That, uh, you know, we have a person who's a producer. We have a person who's an engineer. We have a person who's a, a mixer and things. You know, in this particular album, you know, there was a cast of familiar names, be it, you know, yourself, Niven and Bob, 
Uh, we had Brian Eno there. We had Chris Kimsey, who obviously came through working with the Stones a lot in the second half of their career. Just quickly, can you just for the, the sake and maybe use an example, maybe there's a song there. How can you define your role as the producer on a certain song? Bob's role uh, as the, uh, I guess, the, uh, the the mixer and, and Niven's role as the engineer. Let's start with the engineer. The engineer is the guy technically in charge of making sure that the music is technically recorded properly, that the microphone faces the right way, that it's not overloading. The sound that goes to the recording medium, be it tape or digital hard drive, is not a bad sound. It's as natural as possible. It hasn't got too much low frequency that the human ear can't hear. Mm. The, the sounds are recorded as pure as possible, and the engineer has everything to do with that. In my case, because I have done that before, I hire people, I can let them do the job, but if I need to step in and do a critical piece my way, they quite understand me saying, okay, let me do the engineering on this piece of song. All my engineers know how I want my guitars to sound. I have taught them individually how to place the twin microphone setup that I use for electric guitars. I have taught them the vocal chains that I use, and they have taught me the vocal chains they've used, and we've gone with mixtures. But that's the technical side. So the engineer, if you will, looks after the minutiae of the technical recording details. The producer is like a director of a movie. A director of a movie, you walk up and give him a script, he comes back a year later with a can of film. A producer, it should be called a director. Yeah. But record producers are called record producers, music producers. So someone comes up, hands me a song, could be a, a song that's on paper, or it could be a demo of someone on acoustic guitar. They give it to me and I hand them a movie. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm very conscious of that. That's why I welcome to every rock. The band are not giving me bits of music and I've handed you a movie. It's called Welcome to Every Rock. And, and you mentioned it yourself. These albums were so close together. That was not lost on me that they were that close together. It was natural. And all I was after was welcome part two, basically another suite. I knew that being so close together that we could still run with this methodology and keep it going. We'd already built it up through welcome. Don't stop it now. Hmm. Don't stop the momentum that we've opened up with that style with Welcome to Where We Are. Let's keep pushing it. Let's not fall for doing what other people want us to do. You write songs for other people, you're going to spend your life being disappointed. If you write songs that you like and your friends like, well, then you can move on to the next song. Hmm. So, it, so it's about you, you know, don't fall for the trap. And this is what happened, I think, you know, in the latter days of the marketing of, of Full Moon Dirty Hearts that, that Chris, in his eagerness... Um, and and the political changes that were going on with record companies, management contracts and stuff like that. I don't know. I'm not saying he dropped the ball, but the running order that's on that album is nothing like I intended. You listen to um, Welcome to Wherever You Are, it starts off questions sung by Andrew Farris. Mm. Everyone thought it was Michael for years. I can't, I, still, I forgot to say, oh, by the way, that's Andrew. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, it's not it Michael. with Michael on Men and Women, doesn't it? It's a really... Interesting yeah. start and end with everything. In the well, that's exactly right. And, yeah. and so you picked it in one. And, and so, yeah, questions start, men and women end. And for me, I wanted to start with freedom and end with kill the pain. And I wanted to bring in surprises as they were needed 
to front load an album full of rock tracks just because there's bands like Nirvana around is ridiculous. You're giving in. You're blinking. In excess blink. Not, I won't say in excess blinked, but I'd say that management blinked. And I'm not yeah. blaming Chris entirely for this, but somebody blinked. Yeah. And, and instead of sticking to their guns, doesn't matter. Like tell that to ACDC, you know. Or don't play a 12 bar anymore. You know, it's you've got to put a disco groove to it now. Where do you think I'm, AC- thinking, I'm thinking Bob Ezra and another brick in the wall here. <laughs> no, but you know, yeah. we've got to put a disco beat to ACDC music now. We've got to keep up with everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We would never have, ACDC would be dead and buried, but they stuck to their guns. Yeah. Do what you do. And and and, what and they went through the wilderness years, people forget. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing, in excess had the ability to sustain wilderness years because the wilderness years weren't as long as it was for ACDC. Classic example, Bon Jovi. They sailed through the wilderness years. And when I say the wilderness years, then they weren't wilderness. Nirvana, you know, the, it went for, the day that Nirvana kicked off for that next, however, that period which which changed music, just like Sex yeah. Pistols changed yeah. the era, just like Beatles changed the era. Mm. You know, Nirvana was the year of changer of that particular one. But Bon Jovi got through it. They stayed with what they did. Yeah, they got pilloried for, for a good year, but all of a sudden it, it was they weren't a legacy band. They were still current, yeah. you know. He, he cut his hair for keep the faith. That, uh, uh, all that. <laughs> yeah, no, but look, I think, um, and look, I, I'm really keen for this sort of this this art versus commerce sort of exp- um, sort of notion to to be fleshed out because I, I remember, and again, I was it was in the sweet spot of me as a fan, and I I was you know 21, 22, and I, I you know I'd really come through you know growing up with them, but I was old enough to buy concert tickets. I was old enough to to go interstate and do things and. And, and remember, as you would know, no internet in those days. There was Beat Magazine, there was Duke Magazine in Australia. Um, you get uh, there was MTV reduced a little bit on Friday nights with Richard Wilkins. There wasn't a lot of outlets where you could get information, but there were a couple of snippets I remember quite distinctly. One was, you know, uh, Chris being a bit like, "How do I market this album?" He always seemed to have a bit of a marketing sort of theme to things, and he was like, "Oh, let's get Ray Charles or duets." That would have come up, but uh, you know the, the Ray Charles idea was Michael and mine. It's no one else. Came I'm up not saying that. he came up with that idea. I think the notion that, and I think it's in story to story where you know, I mean, Chris, and let's be honest, Chris will have his version of reality that he thinks of the as I will. I'll have yeah. my version of reality, but but I like to give everyone the opportunity. I, I, yeah, I, I think Chris uh, didn't know how to market it, and then look, you know, from that point of view. I think he put pressure on the record label to front load the rock tracks. And I'll just say it as is. You don't have to comment on it. I know um, it's not something necessarily you have to give give comment on. But I, I remember at the time reading articles where Chris had suggested that. And I think equally there was a scenario there where I look at the B-sides there. All the B-sides were live tracks. It smells of marketing. Well, they'll stack with like what you need and need you tonight. A lot of yeah. uh, big hits to, to go on the CD single. So, well, it, yeah, but, it, it, but exactly. And, and my case was I wanted to take a more... Uh, yes. As I said, the welcome to wherever you are approach is exactly what it was supposed to be. And the reason for it, people can say, oh, but hang on, but aren't you supposed to go further and further away? No, this was part two, which is only 12 months between recordings, less in some, some cases. Of great, some of the great albums have coder albums, don't they, after the main album? You look at up well, maybe exactly. right. a year and a half later, which was an extension of the yeah. sessions, you know? And, and also uh, some of these songs on this album, could have been musical figures, not songs, 
left around from welcome from yes. the, and inspired by the welcome period. And this is Mammy from the UK. This is Lisa Mack from Brisbane, Australia. And this is Felicia from Everett, Washington, USA. And that's a wrap. Well, B, I enjoyed doing that sort of deep dive there with Mark. And uh, I know I would have loved to have you there, but I do thank you for doing all the other heavy lifting for this episode. But... Look, he's such a, a an oracle of information. His memory's so so fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, thank you, Mark, for coming on. That is really special. Okay, so fan engagement time. Uh, Full Moon Dirty Hearts has brought out a lot of fans out of not the woodwork, but just out of their uh, communication uh, bubbles. Uh, I did just want to give a quick shout out to Pedro. I know he really enjoyed the episode, and him and I have been going back and forth about a, a few different things regarding uh, the episode uh, as well. And uh, a couple of little U2 in gags there, Pedro. I agree with you. Uh, from that sort of point of view, we also had a really cool email from a uh, new paper, or new sort of listener called Gareth that only came across our desk yesterday. Uh, it's only just discovered us, and he was really keen to find out a few more deep dive tracks uh, that even got me stumped. Uh, he sent to me, B, uh, about the tracks DLT and Tell Me that were part of the pressing to listen like thieves. I might have to go to my friend MM to do some research on those answers uh, for Gareth, but uh, we will intend to do so. You've got a bit of a plethora of people who have been engaging with you, so over to you. Yes. So on the um, Facebook page, we've had a few. Um, I want to actually say hi to Pedro because he's been working really hard and he hasn't been able to engage with us. But great. I think most people did like Time. There was That was their favourite song when I asked which was their favourite song. Adam, um, he definitely underrated album. Freedom Deep is a masterpiece and Time and Rust days of rest cut your razor stand kill pain love it um shannon she loves it too laurie she laurie tasselmeyer that is she absolutely adores it too she can't she's really looking forward to hearing what mark has to say so i'm glad i hope you enjoyed today's um phil power um, one of my favorite um rock albums i love full moon dirty hearts um yep. what else was that justine my favorite glenn stewart actually this is all oh, and jan hi jan thank you and dean cook thank you for all your messages on facebook um there was a guy called warwick that came onto our our, our facebook page and he stoked us up saying that the the Decadence album that we are um, putting out for our auction is more than one of 250. Well, thank you to Philip Mortlock for actually coming on and um, saying that, no, there was only 250 of these. I think, Warwick, you were in the right place at the right time when you saw 50 of these come through into a um, into a record shop. Fantastic and good luck to you that you found that. But um, yes, there is only 250 copies of the Decadence album that we're actually putting out. Shall I find out how, how we're doing on that, Hayden? Yes, give me an update. Let's have a look. Here we go. Fresh. So this is um, a recording that's going out on a Wednesday. And at the moment, it's at $500. So thank you, everybody. Yes. Appreciate it. Mm -hmm. 
This will be going straight to the bus tour, <laughs> to the video guy. Thank you to those bidding so far and good luck to the eventual winner there. Okay, uh, in terms of this next episode coming up, B, we will have more from Mark because we couldn't get through everything today. So there's going to be an extra little bit of full moon stuff for next week and we always need to have our, our albums last three weeks and give people the full chance to engage. So if there is anything about Full Moon Dirty Hearts you'd like to have us share next week or any stories or anecdotes or any songs that mean something to you, please share them with us because we'd love to read you out in fan engagement next week. Uh, and make you part of things. If you've got any recordings or any experiences live that might be on YouTube, direct us accordingly because I know, for example, the Canadian stuff he wasted, that was some great footage that I hadn't heard before and a lot of other listeners hadn't. So um, please feel to engage, uh, particularly in this three-week Full Moon Dirty Hearts special period. B, we're going to go out with a song today. Now, I think uh, the listeners probably know what this is going to be, and I think given the feedback you just said, it's probably going to go there. We talked last week about Live at Barker Hangar in Santa Monica has been quite a pivotal concert that related to this album and Welcome and things like that for Californian listeners. The video for this particular uh, song was recorded at Live at Barker Hangar and it uh, has Michael there in his T-shirt with the word Hustler on it. Uh, We're going to go out with Time today, B, Live at Barker Hangar, a song which obviously still resonates and probably when I think of this song, B, for the Full Moon album, this was probably the most commercial, accessible, you know, uh, track that resonated with listeners. I think a lot of the other tracks probably tested listeners to really sort of invest in them. Uh, and, and look, I, I like being tested as a listener, but this song had the 4-4 sort of chunky uh, drum rhythm. Uh, had a very, very accessible sort of riff with sort of ACDC overtones. The structure of the chorus and the verses are very, very digestible. And again, it was the third single released uh, at the time. Uh, I think actually also be, uh, for those who were lucky enough to buy this, myself included, and I'm sure Pedro and the gang, check this out for the B-sides uh, on the, the maxi single, I think, at the time. Uh, you started, we had Time, I guess, as the song. You had Communication Live, The Gift Live, Please You Got That Live, and Taste It Live. So uh, we know this song hit number 36 in Australia when it was released, but it has a little more of a long-standing sort of uh, relevance to fans since the release. So we're going to go out with uh, Live from Barker Hangar, Santa Monica, California there. We're going to go out with Time. Now, just one other little thing, B. There was a band that In Excess got on uh, to be the support act for this gig. Do you know what they were called? No. They were called Dread Zeppelin. <laughs> so they were the support band. And if you go to Wikipedia, Live at ba- uh, Banger, um, sorry, Barker Hanger, Banger Harker, Banger Harker, Barker Hanger, <laughs> you will see a picture of Michael with the Dread Zeppelin guys. It is very, very funny. I do direct you to that. Uh, it is a lot of fun. So, B, it's a goodbye from me. Thank you to everybody who's listened and hung in. I look forward to hearing from you next week. Over to you, B. Did you like last week's play out? Freedom Day. Did you like it? It went on for eight minutes. I haven't got up to listening to it yet. <laughs> I knew you wouldn't. Eight minutes. <laughs> it was that an extended version, was yeah, it? Yeah, it was massive. Uh, okay. Massive version. All right. So- Goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from B. See you next time. Okay. Seriously. This is the video. Time.
the sky.